Welcome to Bite Size Therapy Podcast with Dr. Brian Rosino. Dr. Brian Rosino has over 20 years of experience as a talk therapist, and he uses short videos dealing with mental health issues in order to connect and educate hundreds of thousands of people. On this show, Dr. Rosino will make reference to his short clip videos and do his best to explain the mental issue reference and how it can be addressed. Dr. Rosino does not give medical advice, but hopes that he can help people understand what is going on mentally in order to go ask for clarification with their own personal mental health professional. When he started being aggressive, he was only two and a half. I was afraid of my son. You ask a doctor, they can't tell you what he'll be capable of. For people who have serious mental illness, there's a tendency to violence, especially towards themselves. I don't know how to control my anger. Shut up! Only about half of the children are going to receive any kind of care whatsoever. He needs more than a mother. He needs some serious professional help. We don't treat mental illness the way we treat other diseases. The care is just not available. We still blame parents when their children are deeply troubled in ways that involve criminal or destructive behavior. Cops had to come over. I was scared to death. There really isn't a good way to get help. All of these moms, we all need help. What we forget when someone is violent is that we failed them. Man, was that an emotional movie or what? You know, I preach to these gun nuts that are on the left or the right, that if they could just combine their energy. And, right. right. And what did it say in the 60s? They had 600,000 beds. Now they got less than 60,000 because of civil rights and all that. Yeah. So yep. now we're letting the cop cops deal with it in jails. Right? I mean, that, that unfortunately, is, is one of the outcomes. Is that our criminal justice system is, you know, fielding uh, it's a surrogate for mental health issues, you know, um, uh, dealing with mental health issues and not in a helpful way. There's so much packed into this movie. It was hard to watch sometimes, wasn't it? Uh, it was uncomfortable, especially when the parents had to make the tough call to send the kid to a place that could help him out. Yeah. And the uh, the wild thing is the uh, Sandy Hook mom. Yeah. She tried to get help for her kid, right? And yeah. then she did that blog afterwards. Yeah. Um, I I don't know why. I've asked the question to a lot of people, and they say it's just easier dealing with the the weapon of choice instead of the intent. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because like in in this story, you're talking about gun control, like you, gun, yeah, it, yeah, AK easier to control guns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what people are mad about are the efficiency of it. Uh, you know, you can kill a lot of people quickly versus, yeah. you know, a machete or something. Mm -hmm. and, and we're so lost in the weeds on that, that, uh, again, we're not putting any money in mental health. Yeah. I mean, when, when there was a recent shooting, I, I mean, you know, it's, I, I've lost track, you know, unfortunately, but. Well, there's going to be more. Yeah, there will be more. Um, and, you know, thoughts and prayers aren't going to help it. Right. Stop it. Um you know, <laughs> I uh, <clears throat> when one of these shootings happened, I, I uh, you know, on TikTok, I made a video and I, it, the video was basically, look, I'm not 
not against gun control. This is not about gun control. What this is, is let's also focus on a part of the problem here, which is the mental health issues that drive this behavior. If you go into a school or you go into a mall or whatever, you start lighting people up, start yeah. shooting people. it's not because you're doing well in life. <laughs> no. You know? I mean, you got some serious, serious mental problems and, well, and the, reaction, the reaction on tiktok was interesting but one, one that stood we'll, out we'll, to me, we'll yeah, put that on. video here you know these tragedies these shootings are god-awful and i know there's been a lot of emphasis on gun regulation and that's very important i'm not going to get into that what i am going to get into is the mental health issues around this that boy, that young man who took those lives, was suffering and struggling for a long time and was not identified, had serious mental health issues. Too often we overlook the needs of young men in our nation. We expect them to be strong and resilient, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Internally, they're struggling. So guys, keep your eyes open for people that you feel like are on the fringes, that are having a hard time, that maybe are bullying, being bullied and left out. And reach out to them. Extend a helping hand. Don't be afraid to be an ally to them because they're probably struggling in ways that you might recognize too. One of the people said that this is that my comments were inappropriate in the uh, in the aftermath of such a horrific incident, and that the conversation really needed to focus on gun control. And I thought that was one of the most idiotic statements. I'm sorry, I was really just like, I don't know who made that statement. I don't know if it was a 14 year old or, or if it was a uh, doesn't matter, but it's a four year old. It was a dumb statement. And but what? What gets what happens in this talk? They talk they try to unpack this a little bit in the movie. With what happens with the convergence of politics and reality is that we we get confused about what's real, right? Like I don't want to say that people with mental illness can pick up a gun and go into a school and shoot innocent little kids because then that creates that adds to the stigma of mental illness. Okay, well the reality is that that does happen. And so we have to talk about it, but we have to talk about it in a way that doesn't impugn or doesn't, you know, doesn't indict everybody with a mental illness. Yeah, the, the, the reality is the vast majority of people with mental illness are harmless. Uh, they're majorly, they're mostly harm, harmful to themselves, <laughs> not anybody right. else, you know. Um, that is a fact and, and, and something that the general public has to get over because people, people are really afraid of mental, people who have a mental illness. For this very reason, they're afraid they're going to be aggressive or violent or whatever because they're kind of un they're unpredictable. They don't play by the rules, you know, that everybody else does and, and so forth necessarily. The reality is, though, that there is a small subsection of individuals that have mental illness who can be violent now and are prone to violence, mostly towards people that are taking care of them and that are living with them, right? right. They will. They do have the potential to go out into the community and start perpetrating these things, and that is a reality. You know, it's a reality, and so denying that is just foolish on everybody's part. So we have to figure out a way to talk about this, have this conversation. Now, the other part of this that I thought was really important is this naive notion that if your kid is doing well, it's because of good parent. <laughs> you can right. sort of pat yourself on the back. 
Yeah, yeah. If your kid is doing poorly, it's because of bad parenting. And it's like, no. You know, sure, yes. Can you can you do stuff to improve your parenting that like help boost the possibility the kid will have a healthy mental uh, mental health or emotional life? Absolutely. You know, you deal with your own demons. You figure out new ways to handle approach, approach problems. You know, maybe you didn't learn certain ways of you know kind of negotiating or problem solving is, and you kind of need to learn that stuff to to deal with some of the issues with your own kid. Sure, that's all fair. But with some of these issues. They are beyond the scope and understanding of just about any parent. And it's a little bit like, you know, if your kid had a rare blood disorder, you know, mm-hmm. and you expect the parent to not only be able to recognize that it's a rare blood disorder, but to know exactly what to do and, and be able to treat it. That's so absurd, right? Yet, that's essentially what we do with parents when we start judging and shaming them for their kids' behavioral problems. Like, like some of the kids were displaying here. I mean, prevents parents who genuinely need help, it makes it harder for them to ask for it because what they're going to get, what they're afraid they're going to get, and they do sometimes get, is they're going to get somebody who blames them and shames them and makes them feel like shit. Yeah. And so they suffer in silence and things get worse, right? And so we have to get rid of this stupid idea that it's all in the parenting because it's not all in the parent i was surprised to learn and i didn't even think about it back in the 60s there were so many places that you could put somebody oh yeah but but that would be literally putting them away things have evolved since then 50 60 years your neck of the woods i think his name was cree or cray deeds the senator for virginia he's still senator He's still there. We got to reach out to that dude because we got to find out why. Well, tell the story what happened to his kid. So he had this like really brilliant kid, right? And um, see, very successful family. Um, You know, dad's a dad's a state senator and um, talented kid, you know, (laughs) could could learn multiple languages, instruments, all this stuff and music. Music and and um, in his uh, in his twenties, he started to have some problems. And the senator was talking about how difficult it was for him to get help for his kid, you know, to find appropriate help for his kid because of just a lack of a lack of resources because it's so woefully underfunded. And uh, uh, Mr. Deeds talked about. Uh, one morning just going out and seeing his kid and he was, he was, you know, they live in Virginia. They, I guess they had a, you know, a little bit of a farm and they was feeding, feeding the chickens or whatever. And his son attacked him and stabbed him and put him in the hospital ICU. And, uh, he was in critical condition, you know, and, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think he ever told us what happened to the son, but I get, I get. No, he committed suicide. He committed suicide. Was it the same day? I don't know if it was the same day. Yeah. Nobody sees that coming. As yeah. much as as much as you recognize that there's like there's a problem and you worry about these things, you really just never really like fully take it in. And uh, you know he's he's a prime example of how you could have all of these resources at your disposal and still not get help. And like, what is that, right? And so it was John. I think it was John F. Kennedy that was part of the deinstitutionalization programming uh, that came out in the '60s, and and it was it was it was about sort of decentralizing 
mental health, which made a lot of sense. And there was a community mental health initiative. Uh, and community mental health is largely focused on basically spreading the wealth, you know, saying like, let's have people in the community. Let's have people in the schools. Let's have people like, let's make these resources available. Right. And one of the ways that one of the questions, inevitable questions that comes up in that is, okay, well, how are you going to staff all these places? You know, who's going to do all this work? And so, you know, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, ways to approaches to, to address that issue. So what, what happened was we had this sort of, these sort of great ideas um, and they started to dismantle the, the uh, you know, the, pro, the, the mental health kind of uh, infrastructure that, that was in place, which is mainly institutionalization, warehousing. You know, there's some warehousing. Of, yeah. Of um, what they failed to do is they failed to do the second part. The second part of that, or at least the second part is really just sort of like didn't take place to, to make sure that there were resources to catch these people, to take care of these people that you're actually, you know, saying go home to. Right. Um, I'm not somebody who's like, in, I don't believe like, like institutionalization is, you know, like, I don't think that's a solution either. Um, however, there has to be an in-between where yeah. people can have a, like, like what we're talking about, they can have a, uh, a residential placement or a respite place that can that is staffed by individuals could, that can like really truly address and care for somebody who is significantly ill, you know, with the eye on what are they going to be like? One of these one of these uh, parents was talking about dealing with the counselor, and they said, you know, what the what his name was Brian, by the way. My Brian. yeah, <laughs> they were saying Brian. Uh, you know, when, when I talk to Brian, I I I know that. I know that Brian is thinking about my son when he's 25 and what is he going to be like when he's 25? Where is he going to be? What's he going to be doing? Right. Um, And, and I think the kid was like 16 or 17 Mm -hmm. and that's the idea. You know, what are, how are we reintegrating these people into the community? Um, And, and, you know, what are the resources that we're going to need to do that? And the fact is we are going to need, a lot of resources but it's not it's not like i mean we have the money yeah (laughs) so well i mean what's the problem it's it's seriously it's what what it's almost like a marketing issue what's easier to explain uh yeah you brought up kennedy and i don't know if it was kennedy or eisenhower because if it was kennedy Joe Kennedy had a daughter with special needs and yeah. he sent her away to get a lobotomy and she came back and they, they botched it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's, uh, if that was part of it, yeah, part, part of it, but, uh, that's a long time ago to be dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with, you know, today, the one mom, there's a lot of single moms there. And, yeah. uh, it seems like, well, I shouldn't say it. All the boys have the re- have the issues, the major issues, but they also gave some light to the uh, the sisters that had to put up, you know, with with all that stuff going on. Yeah. And the poor single mom, what did she say? You can train a dog easier than a child like this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because she's not a dog. She's not a dog. Yeah. Uh, she's so. Uh, and she it, was really like she was really level headed. I mean, I don't know if that was because the cameras were there or what. I don't even know really who she was talking to, but 
it sounded like somebody who was trying to give her some advice. And um, she was like, yeah, you know, I know that that sounds right to you. (laughs) I've had parents say that to me. You know, they're like, look, I know uh, that sounds, I know that sounds good to you. (laughs) And that's where I have to like, just click pause and say, all right, tell me, (laughs) tell me what that would be like. Tell me what would happen. And then we have to like, break it down and and I have to hear about all of the you know all of the different problems with you know my suggestion because you know my suggestions are just a starting point they're not they're not the end all be all they're they're I mean it takes somebody telling me you know no that's not going to work or we tried that or we tried that medication give me another one yeah oh right. I got different symptoms uh give me another medication yeah yeah well that's the magic bullet right i mean and uh-huh. and uh, Tom Ensel uh, uh, talked about that. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna and, try to find him too. But that poor—I I think he was—he was at NMI, NIMH for a while, uh, and I think he's—I think he is actually still there. Uh, I've met him. He's—he's he's an okay. I mean, very intense guy. <laughs> intense dude. <laughs> can't can't deal with people like that. <laughs> but that, that kid Ethan, he said he—he uh, he wanted a lifeguard to help him uh, save him. Wasn't that, that sweet? Day. He, he, he knew what was going on. He couldn't control it. And then it kind of got into the guns a little bit. Uh, it got into uh, the kid from Aurora, Colorado. I think that's where uh-huh. they had the uh, movie theater shooting. That's right, yeah. And then obviously the Sa- Sandy Hook. And I didn't realize that Adam Lanza's mother was so out there. Because it's one thing, oh, my God, you know, her son did that. But she went out there, you know, trying to get help. Uh, you know, f- f- for others, it looked like. I, I thought that was pretty uh, brave of her. Absolutely. There's a lot of different forces at play, you know, that, um, you know, you can get into, you can, there's lots, of, and this is what I mean, but there's a lot in there. You know, you can get into the money, you know, um, I mean, follow the money, right? Uh, the gun lobby, guns, you could get into uh, the American Medical Association. Yeah. Physicians and wanting to keep things medication focused um and like only certain credential you know people only only physicians you know uh can deal with these problems instead of viewing it as something that's multifactorial and many people you know you need you need a team you need a network of people to provide services across the spectrum not just medication uh so there's there's lots of there's lots of you know, kind of like cross currents here. Well, that... all, the, all these boys were single parents. The exception is one was a divorced parent. And uh, you could just tell, I mean, it's not, we don't want to cast blame, but generally what I've heard is if you've had tra- trauma early in your life, that is really going to mess you up, you know, later mm-hmm. on in life. And all these situations that went down, you had the one African-American lady who said she had mental issues growing up. She knew she had it and she was trying to, trying to help out her kid and it sort of got lost in the system. They, they delayed health on him for a year because some, from whatever paperwork issue. Yeah. You, you had the divorce parents issue and then you had the single, uh, uh, white mom, uh, with a daughter that, uh, and the boy that that uh, spent 
six months in a, in a residential. Three yeah. months, then six months. But the the mother's boyfriend had a gun in there, and the kid would yeah. go get the gun, and yeah. Then the mother's pregnant again later on, and the the problems of these kids is not. Uh, I mean, it still occurs in those places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and so what? I, what? Um, there's there's a couple things to think about here. I mean, like back to the sort of parent blaming piece. You know, people will. I know that people will look at these, look at this movie, and they'll look at the parents and they'll try to find something to criticize. You know, um, and hold them accountable because they want to hold on to this idea of the good parent, bad parent, right? Um, the reality is, is that um, you know these are these are just people uh, that are going along living their lives and and they got delivered something that um they never anticipated and that they are under they're not skilled they're not equipped like they're not equipped in multiple ways to deal with and and single parenting by the way you know um i I was going to look up some statistics i just don't have time on this but yeah um individuals you know parents so marital satisfaction when you have kids Marital satisfaction does not go up. <laughs> it goes down. <laughs> we don't need an exact number. It's just yeah. objective. <laughs> I mean, it's no, it's the truth. I mean, it's like parental satisfaction, people that rate their parent are their up, sorry, their marital satisfaction. Uh, after they have kids, it goes down and the rates of divorce go up. You know, now if you add a kid that has behavior problems, developmental ways special needs that number multiplies quickly because of the stress the toll that takes on the family system and so you will see single parents with a kid who has high needs because it's blown apart that that relationship from before now there's other reasons why some of these parents are single i'm sure but it's just worth pointing out you know that one of the things, and when I meet with parents and families, one of the things I have an eye on is I have an eye on the health of the, the marriage, the health of the uh, the parents, because, you know, the, the risk of it blowing things apart for them is, is it's pretty significant, right? So we have to make sure, because, because it's a lot easier a parent with two people than it is with one, right? Yeah. Just being a single parent, that can be a risk factor. Right. Well, the key word that came up in the show is dysregulated. And, yeah. Uh, whether I would say what I would say, though, here's what I would say. Yeah. Uh, you know, just real quick to, yeah. to address the question of, of divorces. Um, I think we can provide more support to the parents and we can we can be more clear, honest about, you know, what they're in for. And um, and also honest about the fact that they need to learn some things uh, yeah. if, if things are going to get better. And and that um, the, the tendency is for people to turn on each other in these situations and to be aware of that and, and have somebody support them through that so that they, they kind of mitigate that as best as possible. That, that I think, is is where we can get some bang for the buck. Or the insurance companies picking up the tab. I mean, you got two things. You got to pay for it and then you got to get over the stigmatism, right? Want to get help and then, oh, I can't afford that, you know. Whether it's counseling to help you get through it, or you know, if you so, so you've got parents who, so here's the process in my experience. Okay, here's the process. 
So a parent will go into, let's say, uh, a pediatrician, a kid's having, uh, you know, difficulties at school and at, and at home too. And they seem like they're kind of, they're experiencing some depression and anxiety. What, what usually happens is the pediatrician, um, if, if they're sort of reached this point uh, in the discussion, we'll, we'll give them referrals to uh, mental health resources. Now, typically, there's going to be a lag between when that information is given and when any action that that parent takes. Because that parent needs to deal with whatever stuff that's bringing up in them, okay? That's in the way, like, you know, it's not like referring them to a dentist where you might get on the phone that afternoon, right? Yeah. You tell them to go to see a psychiatrist, that can take some parents months to do. Because they have to go through all, they have to get through all of the baggage that's attached to them, right? Now, I've had parents say to me, you know, I've, I have, it took me, it took me like a few months to get, get my head around the fact that like my kid needed services wasn't my fault and like, you know, yeah. to get past the shame. Then I couldn't, once I actually picked up the phone, nobody returned my phone calls. Um, and nobody had availability. And then once I did find somebody that had availability, like I couldn't afford what they charged and my insurance certainly didn't cover it. I mean, like, so it's like this never ending. So if we don't have the money to take care of it beforehand, then we're paying more money after the fact, aren't we? It'll just take the, you know, the prison system, right? Well, that's, that's the, well, that's, that's the reasoning. I mean, there's there's been plenty of reports that have been, you know, drawn up on this to try and, you know, point out, you know, if it really is about the money, you know, let's take a look at the money. Let's look at how much money we're spending trying to deal with the aftermath of these mental illnesses, these mental health issues, right, versus treating them, right? The big problem, here's here's one of the big things that I think a lot of people get stuck on, is it's hard to prove that prevention works, right? Because it works if nothing happens. Yeah. Right? And you're like, okay, well, nothing happened, but like, how do I know something was going to happen, right? And so people get all hung up on this. Uh, getting back to the documentary itself, Suicide by Cop, that seems to be a, a very, I don't say a fantasy, but that a, a dangerous fantasy that a couple of these kids have when. Uh, yeah, one of the social workers called it, the, I think, what did he call it? The ultimate solution or the perfect solution or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, uh, I think, I think that's an apt way to put it because it's like, that's, that's where, that's the road that people travel down when they're in that kind of despair you know it's like they they want to just completely end it and the only way they can see doing that you know like they can't take their own life so they make somebody else kill them um right. is how that goes uh or they you know they kill somebody and then they get killed there's a lot of, there's a lot there's a lot of time a lot of police that have to deal with that you know and and this is a discussion for you know mental health related to law enforcement um you know but there are officers out there who have shot somebody knowing that that's what they were manipulated into doing, you know, 
is well, basically they, said they had a what a mobile health mental team in LA that uh, you know would go out there to you know a mobile, mobile crisis unit mobile yeah. crisis unit we have those in Virginia and uh, they're through the usually through a community services board which is an organization that's state funded and they have people on staff that will uh, be dispatched to go to homes and uh, talk to the families and try to de-escalate problems as well as you know um make help make decisions on placement um if that's if that's what's needed which is a good service uh but it's they they are inundated uh they have more business than they can handle and uh so yeah so what happens is then the police with these with these kids they're aggressive the police are almost invariably because of the aggression and the violence and that's what's being dealt with the aggression and violence and then the next part is like wh what are the issues like that uh created that and and police don't know police don't know how to deal with that right yeah. and they're not i mean that's not their job really um and we're we're doing more training with police and how to engage people of mental health issues and and how to you know how to how to de-escalate you know those situations and empathy and so forth but the the fact is we need we need more troops as far as the crisis units go um and and people that can staff places uh that uh receive these receive these kids you know um and, and are are in charge of taking care of them in the sandy hook mom i keep saying the sandy hook mom uh she said the, uh, her experience with uh, mental health is sort of like, what she say, an, a Ouija board experience. Right. Very mysterious and mystical. And well, you don't know how they got to what they... Try this. Try this. Yeah, we think it's those. this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what is that what a psychiatrist does? <laughs> Do they have a Ouija board? Do you have a Ouija board in the office? Do. That's, that's, I'm going to try this. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I'm getting a message. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, well, it, it's a little bit like throwing darts at a dartboard, I think is, you know, what, what the people have said. Uh, and and they, they, they don't know what they're looking at. And they don't know, you know, it's like if you have a hammer in your toolbox and that's the only tool you have, that's the tool you use. Everything looks like a nail. Everything looks like a nail. And it's just, it's what you have, you know, it's like, you know, so there is this uh, phenomena with, with mental health professionals where they're very, they become very biased in, in the way that they view things. They can very narrow yeah. the way that they view things. Why, why don't psychiatrists or even psychologists, why don't they go through a little bit more rigorous uh, training on the anatomy of the brain and what what's going on if that's the organ that they're going to concentrate on do you have a feeling on that so i think i think that there is a a, a lot of training that happens there i think that we're also just in the infancy of understanding like what the hell this stuff is and like how it works and trying to put it together that's part of the issue part of the issue is also one i think we've we've kind of passed over before, which is that you've got psychiatrists that are functioning a bit like MASH surgeons where they're on the front lines and they've got people lined up out the door who need help and they don't have the time. They just don't yeah. have. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to help them where they can help them. 
right? And so, so sort of like, uh, sort of like on the you know battlefield, there are going to be some. There are going to be casualties that you know you could probably treat if you were in a hospital and you had the right resources, but because you don't have that, this person's going to die, and you know that, right? You brought, you brought up the hospital. Nothing. If you go to the ER for a mental health problem. You're not going to get a bed, or you're going to be just in that waiting area forever. Which is part of the same issue of you know, there's not enough uh, beds to meet the need, and there's not enough uh, clinical hours to meet the need uh, that's out there. And so what 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 happens is you get uh, mental health professionals that are pushed past their limit, and they may be seeing they may be seeing patients that. Uh, you know, are outside of their range of expertise, but, you know, no one else can see them. And so they feel, you know, compelled to do something. Another great quote, mental health is not a casserole disease. Yeah, that was awesome. That was a good, that was a good <laughs> quote. Casserole disease, yeah. Somebody, was, somebody gets the flu or something, you bring them chicken soup and... yeah. Little Johnny has a mental breakdown or something. It's like, ooh, I'm not going to do anything. That's that pretty much summed it up there. Let me tell you. I'll tell you a little story though that is actually a positive uh, in this regard. There's a there's someone in my neighborhood um, in my community that um, has has a child with um, some mental health issues, school refusal, and uh, one evening they. Uh, uh, they got into a fight with their parents and they they ran away. And um, I got a text message about this. Uh, this again, this is not uh, not because I was a professional, but I was one of the parents in the community. Many other parents in the community got a text message or some sort of notification was either there were many th ways avenues to this. It was Facebook, there was there was text messaging, there might have been you know some other phone calls or whatever. What ended up happening is that half a dozen, 10 parents, you know, me and me and like 10 other parents started canvassing the neighborhood to look for this kid. And finally, somebody found him and brought him back home. Right. And that was great. That's that's like, isn't that what we want? We want communities to like, look. we want people to look out for each other. And like, if somebody's like if a parent is struggling, this is a parent who had a fight with a kid, a kid ran away. She could have felt embarrassed and humiliated and like she screwed it up. But no, instead, she knew that she had people in the community she could turn to for help. And she did. And so we all went out. We looked for the kid. He was found. He was brought back home. And, you know, no worse for wear. The preschool, the grade school kids, because they did a little piece on there on Ethan. I believe he was doing some uh, HRV training, some breathing exercises to yeah. try to calm down. And if you can teach kids when they're young to know what to have them feel what anxiety looks like and ha yeah. have a coping mechanisms when they're young. That could probably be where the money could be spent with the counselors there. There's a curriculum called Mind Up, and it's a curriculum that is uh, – it's, it's an educational curriculum, and it comes in modules. So it comes in a module that's like for preschool, kindergartners, module for early elementary, later elementary, middle school, high school. And it's basically training teachers and, and educators how to um, – 
educate the kids on mental health and uh, educate them on coping strategies and, and things that they can do to handle stress in their life. It's a great, it's a great thing. It's a great resource. There are many, um, there are Fairfax County, Virginia is a school system that uses this. I know this because I have several social workers in my practice that work in Fairfax County. So I get, I get to, I get to, you know, learn a little bit about what they're up to. Um, but that I think is definitely uh, a route we need to continue on. Um which is basically giving the information away, removing the and removing the bar removing barriers of access. You know, I mean, talking about emotional issues, talking about the brain, talking about it like you do, you know, fractions and Columbus Day and all that other <laughs> stuff, right? Well, you brought up the magic bullet, and uh, another great quote. Hey, man, it works great in uh, Hollywood. And then you get into cognitive uh, retraining and, you know, which is neurofeedback, you know, the alternative stuff that's uh, out there. And again, teaching the kids, you know, when they're young and giving the options. Now, does that get into some type of control issues with the parents and whatnot? You mean the cognitive retraining piece? Yeah, yeah. Or even if you, you know, why are you teaching my kid how to breathe? Oh, well, so... You mean in the school system? Yeah, in the school system, because because I mean they're they're they they were going over some alternative things. It's not yeah. just a pill. It shouldn't be in a Ouija board. It's it's not just <laughs> one thing. It's not one thing that caused it. It was a bunch of things. It's not going to yeah. be one thing that's going to fix it. It's going to be right. Yes, right. So it's figuring out what you, you want to get regulated, right? And they you brought up dysregulation. And kids, I mean, you know, kids. If kids are dysregulated, they, they don't learn as well. And kids are stressed um, and are experiencing emotional difficulties. It affects their learning. There's a direct relationship, you know, there. And um, your question, it, it, your question is one of, you know, at what point do parents uh, feel like the schools are overstepping their bounds? Maybe? You got to get the kids when they're young and you got to somehow educate the parents as well, like at the same time so they can see because both of them could get value from it. Um, absolutely. Oh, then, absolutely. The parents could the parents could learn things from their kids that would help them, right? Right. Cope. Like their kid could come home and talk to them about the brain. Yeah. It, not, it, that, it, not that not that that's what you're looking for, but like you know <laughs> that could be an unplanned. That could be like a happy accident, right? And then, unfortunately, I don't want to nitpick, but I'm looking at what's going on. You see the the one kid drinking a Pepsi sugar cola. You see the other kid, his mom's giving him a, a big sugary Starbucks drink. I saw that. I was like, oh, wow. I, come on. Uh, a little bit later, she was calling the police, I think. I, I don't yeah, know if it's the right. same day. I don't know if it was the same day. I, I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. But it, what the reason I bring it up is because diet comes into play, right? Yeah. So it's yes. it's not one thing. It's, it, you know, it's a bunch of things. Well, and then what you got – but here's the thing, though. Like, like – and. What you have with, and that kid had autism um, and some other developmental issues going on. And, and these are kids that are very, very, um, they can be hypersensitive and um, very particular. And so there's, food is a big, it can be a big issue in the autism community because of the hypersensitivity, you know, to smells and tactile. And so there's like a limited, really limited range of food that the kids will agree to eat. And uh, so if parents are like, they're just racking their brains trying to figure out how to get calories in this kid, 
Yeah. And so sometimes they just, they just, there's no, they, they give them a sugary drink. <laughs> I mean, it happens. It's not the best practice. No. But you, you, what, you have a parent that is, that is, they're doing the best they can and they're trying, but they're, they're just, they can't do it all. You know, they can't do it all. Right, right, right. You know? Maybe they know or they don't know, but I, I don't know what percentage that plays a role, but it does play a role. And part of an overall initiative that, that with mental health as the focus where, and this is what we mean by like team approach, it's multifactorial. So, you know, you, what you, how you're eating and, and sleep, yep. you know, sleeping, uh, that plays a big role into the, you know, the extent to which you're going to experience symptoms, you know, um, and it can play a role in the development of mental health issues. Um, not that, not that that would be like it's a, it's a lot harder to like if you have a kid that everything else in their life is great, but their diet is pretty crappy. You know, the chances of them developing a mental health issue just because of their diet, I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, how right, 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 but, right, right, right. But but it it when you don't have uh, you know normal brain functioning when you don't when your brain needs certain uh, chemicals and you're not eating right then then you've got more of a recipe for disaster and the the senator getting back to him uh he basically said the system failed his son and he's in politics system i mean he is the system he is the system yeah 70 70 percent of the people in in juvie hall have a mental illness is that all I thought I thought it'd be bad. Be... That's from the documentary. And that oh, I know. The, that was that kid that said the that. Skinny, I think uh, it's higher. I think it's higher. Well, what does Juvie Hall cost? Yeah. So you take 70% of whatever that is, right? Yeah. And but you can't prove you can you can prove you can fight for the budget if there's a crime, you got to put them somewhere. You can't, it's hard to fight for uh, a crime that didn't exist yet, that hasn't happened. And I think that's right. That's right. Yes. Um, and many, many of the kids in uh, Juvie Hall, uh, most of them have some sort of a learning disability. Yeah. Right. Um, that cuts across multiple demands of their life. Right. Many of them have um, regulatory disorders like ADHD or, um, you know, intermittent explosive disorder, whatever you want to call it. They have. Yeah. So, so many of these kids have very, very, uh, important needs that don't are not were not addressed uh, um, enough, you know. Uh, and and how much of that is a failing of the system? Probably a good part of it. You're, if you have your average middle class parent that needs help, you know what is what? Where do they go? And then what is the process from there? You know, like picking up the phone to call somebody. Who do they call? You get into some of these places more rural places i mean colorado or, or the like you know and i know not all colorado right, right, right. but you the you got to drive hours to get help you know you're gonna drive hours to get a, to go to a therapy appointment well maybe one zoom, but you, you're gonna do it every week you're gonna do it twice a week you're gonna do i mean like you know the resources aren't there. That's the the system's not in place actually in many many areas. Well, the, the one kid that quoted that seventy percent, he also said that uh, 
he was fascinated with jail. It's, uh, you know, what is jail like? It's uh, like overnight slavery. Yeah, you become a slave overnight. (laughs) Not exactly what you dream of when you become a parent you know, for your child. And that's, 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 here's another thing, you know, um, building into, and I don't know, you know, this is just an early thought for me. I don't have a really clear beat on this, but you know, most of us, when we, we have this idealized view of what parenthood should be, right. We get married and we have these expectations and many of us want to have children and, Father's Day, Mother's Day. Yeah, and the American, it's part of the American dream, right? In in many ways. And, but what that means is we're not given the, we're not, how much of the truth are we actually given about what is involved with parenting and what we might likely face as parents, you know? Um, You could have a, you could have a kid that's born disabled um, physically. You could have a kid that is doing great uh, and develops a mental health issue when they're 19 or 20, you know? So there's just realities around this that, you know, I I mean, maybe I sound like a wet blanket, but there's realities around this that I think we can do a better job of talking with, you know, people, young couples about, you know, and, and sort of they can do more to educate themselves on, you know, what would we do or, you know, how could we prepare for this? Right. So that it's not something that they're reacting to. Well, this is this documentary was 2018. So these numbers maybe have changed. I don't know. But and like you say, these numbers sound low. Over 17 million have experienced a psychiatric disorder, but only half of them, less than half, receive treatment. So you got eight and a half million people floating around out there. Homeless. What percentage? you know, you know, is homeless. So th- there's a lot that needs to be addressed. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, why should a parent watch this movie? Because I, you're not alone, right? H- here's the stuff to watch out for. I think there's a lot of reasons why parents, for parents to watch this movie. Um, you know, it could be to, to let them know that they're not alone and, and, possibly offer some insights about their own situation and, and, you know, um, disabuse them of some, some ideas about like personal responsibility, uh, but also um, pointing them in the direction of ways in which they can, they can help. But it builds com- compassion among parents for, for other parents who are struggling, you know, and who are pr- having problems. We parents, we love to judge each other, yeah. you know, we love it because it makes us feel so good and superior and safe. Like we're doing a good job and, you know, we can, you know, we need parents to be compassionate with each other and recognize that, you know, that could happen to any of us, any one of us, you know, and this is a parent that, you know, like, like the parent that had the kid that ran away in my neighborhood, you know, this could happen to anybody. And if it happened to you, How would you want people to respond, you know? And so knowing that this is out there and it's a reality for many parents, I think is important for parents to recognize, even if they don't have kids, they have these issues because it's part of, because then they can help, they're more, they're better able to 
help other parents and support them because they have the information. Doc, another great uh, video to add to our series here. Man. And it's uh, it's on HBO, but I found it on YouTube. I'll put it here, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, good good for HBO for letting people uh, check it out. That's uh, Absolutely. It, it's a worthy hour 20. It is. It's not a long movie in it, and it really moves. It's it's uh it's uh there's a lot in it. A lot of good stuff. Doc, thank you for another riveting another rock star performance. Performance.